celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry, you are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, in Ronan, Montana, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. This is yours truly, Brian Chilton, joined alongside by the cowboy apologist, Curtis Evelo, and I uh, hope and pray that you're doing well wherever you may be. Uh, just a quick uh, message, just a few, just a few very brief announcements. Um, I think I had accidentally announced last week that uh, T.J. Gentry was going to be on with us this week. Well, actually, my fault had the the weeks mixed up, so he will be with us next week. And so, looking forward to having him on the on the podcast. Uh, then after that, believe it or not, we only have just a handful of uh, episodes left in season six. We have uh, we'll have a break come the uh, second week of May, as uh, that'll be graduation week. Excited about that. Uh, as we've mentioned, Bellator Christie will be well represented at the graduation there, and we uh, really only have a couple more episodes left. We or three to be exact. After the interview with TJ, uh, we have one uh, that we're going to talk about. About, uh, really the final episode in this series asking the question does God still speak uh, that should be coming up week after next and then after graduation we're just going to take a special week to discuss my dissertation uh, and the results of what I found in that and hopefully that'll be coming out in book form uh, here probably within a year or so uh, it, I've got a little work to do to get it ready for uh book form so that that'll be uh coming up as well and then after that we have just one last episode remaining and it's just a recap a fun episode which they're all fun, uh, but just kind of a laid-back episode where we're going to just take a look at some of the things we discussed uh, in Season 6 and a lot of the things coming up in Season 7. So uh, the ride for Season 6 is winding down. It is uh, nearly come to a close, and uh, we just are so thankful that you've been with us this season. I uh, hope that you enjoy the last few episodes and uh, get excited about uh, Season 7 coming up next September. Uh, one last thing to mention before we turn it over to Curtis. Uh, Conversations about heaven is tentatively uh, scheduled for around May 5th, I've been told. I'm waiting to, to get uh, the, an image of the cover, uh, of what the cover is going to look like. I, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but they should be sending that very soon. And um, after that, I mean, here in a few weeks, the book should be ready to publish, should be ready to roll out. And... Um, Hopefully, maybe we can sometime have a podcast on some of the things in that book, and maybe that would be even a good way of starting Season 7. We'll, we'll talk about that and get things prepared for that. But with all that being said, uh, we're excited again that you're with us uh, this evening, and so we're going to turn it over to our cowboy apologist, Curtis Evelo. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, welcome aboard, folks. Glad to have you all with us. And, uh, well, you know... It amazes me how many people um, that this podcast reaches. I just, uh, I still am am blown away when when you tell the stats of 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 where it's reaching. I mean, uh, 
we got Korea, we got we got Australia, we got, <laughs> we got South America. We, I mean, it's it is it just blows me away. I, I enjoy it. Um, I sure hope that those that do get to be involved with it um, really uh, take this information in, and you know, let us know where you're from when as you're listening. So. Absolutely. Just got an email today from one of our uh, readers slash listeners and uh, was talking about uh, even even provided some resources uh, to, to uh, further uh, look into the uh, archaeological research evidence for for scripture. And uh, by the way, Dr. Bruce Price, he wrote an excellent yeah. uh, article just this past week. Uh, on uh, a good one. or actually this week I should say on archaeology and so uh, just some great stuff just a great team and uh, excited to see what uh, the future holds yeah yeah it's going to be exciting yeah so today we're going to be going into the argument uh, from miracles and inner witness <laughs> um, this is this is going to be a good one so um <laughs> Started off. What do, what do you mean, or what do we mean by the argument of miracles? Then, so when we talk about this uh, this this episode, we talk about miracles. We're talking about inner witness. To some degree, we're talking a little bit about experiential apologetics, and some people have problems with that. And we'll talk about that as we go through the podcast tonight. Uh, but when we talk about the argument from miracles, uh, we first of all need to ask the question: What is a miracle? And there have really been two definitions given throughout history, and probably many more we could add, but two, two major hitters have given their take on miracles. And the first come from Augustine of Hippo. Um, of course, he lived, what, in the 4th century, I think, 4th, 5th century, 4th century, I think he was. And um, I think that's right. Anyhow, long story short, uh, he... Uh, I'm going to debate myself now what year <laughs> just <laughs> century he lived. It's been a long day, folks. It's been a long day. Just have grace. <laughs> but Augustine claims that a miracle is a portent uh, that is not contrary to nature, but contrary to our knowledge of nature. And he writes this in the City of God, yeah. uh, twenty-one eight. Uh, so for him, it's not a miracle. Doesn't necessarily oppose the natural law. Uh, but it just opposes maybe our knowledge of how such a thing could come about. Well, and that's not to say that God can't work through nature because God works through nature all the time. But is that really what we mean by a miracle uh, in the classical sense, that is? Well, Thomas Aquinas, and we quote him quite a bit here on the podcast, he offered a better definition as he said that miracles are events beyond nature's power to produce and that only a supernatural power, that is God, can do. And he writes that in uh, his book, Summa Contra Gentiles, in the third book. Uh, Norman Geisler adds that natural law describes uh, naturally caused regularities. A miracle is a supernaturally caused singularity. It's not something that happens every day. It's a divine directly, divinely directed event that occurs. So if a person has some disease and there's no hope for uh, a cure, no natural hope for a cure, but the person prays and suddenly is healed, then that's not normal. That's not something that ordinarily happens that speaks to something else uh, causing that event. It's not a regularity, it's a singularity. And so when we talk about an argument from miracles, if a miracle can be shown to have occurred, 
then it serves as evidence for the existence of the supernatural being performing it. And so one of the greatest miracles of all, you've, you've heard us talk about this on the podcast quite a bit, one of the greatest miracles of all outside of creation is the resurrection of Christ. And that stands as a centerpiece of Christianity because Jesus kept telling his disciples that the Father was going to raise him from the dead on the third day. And lo and behold, sure enough, he raised from the he rose from the dead on the third day, just as he said. So if the resurrection of Christ is true, then that serves as evidence for what he said about himself, said about the Father, and said about the Father's plan. So that's why the resurrection of Jesus is so critically important to the message of Christianity. Yeah, and it's it's I love how Frank Turk puts it. Um he says, uh, he says, the greatest miracle in the Bible, and even atheists believe in this miracle, is is uh, the first in the first verse in the beginning. God, God created, created heavens and earth. Yep. So, <laughs> the Big Bang, you know, or, or on the atheist side, you know, the Big Bang, or is it, you know, God created? So, um, hey. there was something, some big event that happened there, and if if God can create all of this out of nothing then what's a resurrection yeah yeah what's a virgin birth what's what yeah Yeah. absolutely i mean because the whole advent of creation itself means that god created the entire set of nature and everything within it and so yeah if if he has the copyright to all of nature then he most certainly (laughs) can do anything like a resurrection that's a that's a cakewalk (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> copyrighted. <laughs> I like that. That's, I'm going to use that. That's for hey, sure. It works. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, why do apologists often neglect or even refuse to use the experiential apologetics as part of their defense for Christianity? Well, and there, there's several reasons uh, for this, and and there may be more, and there may be deeper reasons uh, for some, but I've I've seen at least three, and there may be more. Um, but the first is that uh, some people claim that miracles are anecdotal, um, and 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 the the reality is 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 that I mean, you, you, miracles aren't something that you can necessarily put in a test tube. So you can't necessarily always prove it by the scientific method. Uh, so to a degree, some miracles may be anecdotal, but that doesn't mean they're not true. That doesn't mean they're mm-hmm. false. Uh, so, I mean, it's not something that's going to be repeatable because the nature of miracles are, are, a, are a divine singularity that happens in space and time. So it's not going to be a repeatable thing unless God said, you know, if God said this is going to happen on the 18th day of the month uh, every year, and it happens on the 18th month of that year, it, just as he said it was, well, then then there's some regularity to that, I guess you could say. But but miracles don't normally work that way. It's, um, you know, God may say something's going to happen, and it does, and then that's just evidence for, for, um, for, for the person doing it. So, I mean, I, you know, I, people talk about anecdotal evidence and they don't want to, they don't want to consider it, but that doesn't mean that the anecdote given isn't true. Uh, so I mm-hmm. think it's a weak argument, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. Some people dismiss, the second reason is because some people dismiss continued, the, 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 the existence of continued miracles. 
And this is a mm-hmm. something called cessationism. And we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast. Um, we hold to a, 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 a form of continuationism, or at least that's what we've mentioned. And, you know, Curtis yeah. and I, we, we may have different a- aspects from which we come. I think we're generally in the same camp. Uh, but we may come from different traditions and things, but we still both hold to that miracles continue to happen. And even some cessationists would even agree that God can continue to do miracles um, in a weaker sense of cessationism. But I think this cessationism has had a greater impact on Christian theology relating to miracles than what we realize. And that's related to the third reason hyper skepticism people are super skeptical and listen i get it curtis and i were just talking about this before the podcast and folks i tell you sometimes i wish you could join these conversations we have before and after the podcast because they're they're really quite interesting but um people people are very skeptical people are very skeptical and for good reason because there have been it's hard to decipher truth from falsehood in a society when every, where everything is turned into a spin. So I get it. But we, we can become so skeptical that we reach a point that we may even invalidate things that are of God. And um, so there comes a time, I think, that we need to become skeptical of our hyper-skepticism. And so I think that's one of the reasons why some people... Uh, are opt against experiential apologetics. Mm-hmm. Couple of couple of thoughts here. You know, probably another reason why, and this is just a thought, why a lot of apologists don't use that um, is because there are um, religious, you could say groups out there that that do tend to rely mostly on or more on uh, an experiential part. So, yes. such as let's just let's just say, such as Mormons, such mm-hmm. as uh, uh, New Age. You know, they have a, they have an experience with God, and so um, apologists want to stick with um, the facts of of what's actually historic, what's what's factual in in certain things, but I still I still follow along the same line as you. Um, all truth is God's truth, no mm-hmm. matter what it is. And if you have an experience with God, and, and it and it tests out because we're we're told to test all things, right? We're mm-hmm. told to test all things through Scripture. So if it tests out as Wow, is this matches something I could see and something that actually um, is biblical? Wow, yeah, I could I could definitely relate to that. That doesn't mean that you're you're falling into some some sort of heresy or some sort of heterodox or anything like that. It's you have an experience with God. God usually uh, God will move and and uh, and do certain things in your life to verify certain things. Um, certain events, certain um, privileges that you may have, certain gifts that you may have, God's going to intervene into those time periods. And when you have that experience with Him, what that does is it actually sets that even a little further, deeper into your heart, deeper into your soul. As you know, what all of this stuff is true, and I've had an experience with God, 
verifying that these things are true, I can't walk away from this. I, I am I am solidified in Christ. I'm solidified in my um, my my allegiance to God. In in the book coming up, conversations about heaven, I, I talk a little bit about near death experiences, and there are some people, and I don't mean to name names, but Robert Jeffress is one that has really become really critical of near-death experiences because he didn't like one story. He threw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, he, he threw all the encounters out. And I think I think that's really irresponsible. No offense to Robert Jeffress uh, at all, but I think that's really irresponsible to do things like that. And I think it's just as I think it's irresponsible to throw out the possibility of miracles or, or even the impact that an experiential apologetics can have just because a few people misuse this. I mean, going back to the New Age, I think some people have taken this New Age witch hunt, <laughs> pun intended, mm. <laughs> New Age witch hunt to, to extremes and to the point that they're even dismissing, in my opinion, uh, things that could relate to biblical truth, such, I mean, such as... Mm. The whole aspect to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. If that's true and we continue to exist in a spiritual state until the time of resurrection, then near-death experiences would be expected for, for a child of God. And so in the book Conversations About Heaven, uh, there's a chapter on near-death experiences. I give an acronym uh, in the book that helps us regulate the stories we hear about near-death experiences to draw out the truth without be, being drawn into the sensationism, sensationalism that could come with some of the stories. Uh, so I think that acronym also works in, in areas of this uh, of this nature as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it, Eric and I've had uh, had this talk, Pastor Eric, and I've had this talk about. You, you, uh, to when somebody's had an experience with God, you can't um, argue them out of that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, the next question: Do we do we find biblical grounds for using miracles as a defense for Christianity? Oh, absolutely, we do. We most assuredly do, and I'm going to pull up our handy-dandy scripture here. Uh, let me know if you can see it. Is it showing up on the screen there, Curtis? Yes. Okay, all righty. So we're going to flip over to Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 12. And uh, here we find a passage of scripture. Well, let me first of all say... That in the Old Testament, there the word signs in Hebrew is the word oath, uh, O-T-H, uh, usually carries a supernatural significance. And so, uh, Curtis, if you'll read Exodus 3.12 for us. Sure. He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am, I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Well, and let's take a look at some of those signs that uh, God brought about. 
Uh, there's two things particularly. And how about reading verses 1 through 8 for us? Sure. So Moses answered, what if they won't believe me? Will will not obey and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. <laughs> Maybe you're just crazy, him. Moses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this you're crazy. I know that's this, that's that's what cracks me up. As soon as I saw this, I started laughing because I knew exactly what this was about. You know, <laughs> what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Well, throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> The Lord, the Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff. Now, that hand. took a great deal of faith to be able to do that. Not not throwing the staff yeah. down, but picking the snake up by the tail. <laughs> this will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of, the, of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Ah! <laughs> put, put your hand back inside your cloak, he said. So, put it, so he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you, and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. Can't you believe, don't you believe that, or don't you know that Moses had to be telling the people, please accept the first sign so I don't have to do this again. <laughs> but but here again, these, these, these miracles of God served as evidence of God's presence, evidence of what he was doing, and uh, evidence of what he was going to do. There's another one I want to bring up here, uh, Numbers 14, 22. In chapter 7, verse 17, uh, God says to them, By this you will know that I'm the Lord, just as he did in the previous passage of Scripture. And let's take a look at, uh, in fact, let's go to 20 through 23. Yeah. The Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you requested, yet as I live and and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness and have trusted me these ten these ten times and did not obey me will will ever see the land I swore to give their ancestors none, none of those who have despised me. We'll see it. So, so it, but this, since my servant Caleb has, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, so Caleb and uh, um, so Caleb and and Caleb will be able to go. Uh, Joshua will be able to go into the promised land, leading them in the promised land because they had the trust and faith in what God was doing, and trusted not only God but saw the evidence of the signs, the miracles that were happening. They, and here's the, here's the bad thing about it. For these people, they not only saw the signs, uh, but they also saw the glory of God, that Shekinah glory on the mountain, and Shekinah glory leading them, but yeah. yet they still, they still denied. So in the Old Testament, we also find evidence that, uh, that miracles or signs could accompany um, 
a uh, prophet's ministry. So 714 here, uh, I'll go ahead and read this. So therefore the Lord himself will, will give you a sign. See the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name, name him Emmanuel. So this was a sign of the Christ's uh, the Messiah's birth. We also see Isaiah uh, 38, 7 and 8. Um, it says, This is a sign to you from the Lord that he will do what he has promised. I'm going to make the sun's shadow that goes down on the stairway of Ahaz go back 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back 10 steps. It had descended. Now, that's not a normal occurrence, but that was a work of God <laughs> acting in that scenario. Uh, therefore, proving a sign, um, prove as Gideon. You know, Gideon. He he uh, asked God for a sign. God gave Gideon a sign, and so uh, these signs are throughout. <laughs> time the, after time after time. Oh gosh, yeah, time after time. <laughs> in the New Testament, the word "sign" (sameon) in Greek is used some seventy-seven times. How about that? Seventy-seven times in the New Testament, forty-eight times. In the Gospels alone. So let's take a look at uh, John 6, 2. How about reading this for us? Sure. 6, 2. Uh, a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Sick. And let's also take a look at nine sixteen. Mm-hmm. says some of the Pharisees said this in the man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath but others were saying how can a sinful man perform such signs <laughs> there was a division among them so these miracles caused a division and really the Pharisees now when he's th- when John uses Pharisees he's not talking about all Pharisees because we knew that Nicodemus we know that Nicodemus and John of Arimathea they were both right. disciples of Jesus and were Pharisees and there were probably others uh, they were just outvoted and the Sadducees when they took the vote in the Sanhedrin against Jesus it was a monkey trial and and there were Pharisees who were against Jesus I'm not saying that but there were some Pharisees who were for Jesus as well but here there was a division because of the signs that Jesus did they couldn't deny these miracles that he had performed and you know let's even take a look at uh, chapter 11 verse 43 and 44 uh, after this Jesus said he shouted with a loud voice Lazarus come out come forth the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with a face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unwrap him, let him go. This was, of course, a sign. Um, and see in verse 45, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus has done, had done. And here again there's that sign. We even see in uh, Matthew um, 18... 39 and 40. Um, well, there's, there isn't a 38, 9, and 40. I may have put that down wrong. Uh, let's take a look here and see. Um, okay. 12, 39, and 40, I think is what that was supposed to say. 12, 39, and 40. 12, 39 and 40. And Curtis, would you do us the honor there? <laughs> it says, 
He answered them, and an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days, three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Mm. The men of Nineveh will, yeah, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Ooh. <laughs> because they didn't they they repented at Jonah's preaching and look some something greater than Jonah is here now that is a rebuke i've al- i've always thought that verse 41 is is something that is like wow that generation of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and say you you fools you, it's crazy. Saying you messed up, guys. I mean, and Jesus yeah. said even here the ultimate, the ultimate sign of the resurrection, the ultimate sign of his divinity, the ultimate sign of his authority was in the resurrection. He proclaimed that it was going to happen, and mm-hmm. so it did. And there's absolutely no denying that. And so here's another story I'd like for us to take. A I've look also at. heard. Go ahead. I've also heard we were talking about Lazarus just a minute ago, and I've also heard that if Jesus wouldn't have called uh, Lazarus by name, every everything every everybody in the grave would have come out at that moment. So that's even a greater miracle. Absolutely, you know, and and he he gave a distinctive word for Lazarus, that particular person, to come out. Let's take. Let's take a look at a story, and this will be the last uh, scripture we read uh, here in this section. But I think you got the notion, I think you got the gist that the scriptures tell us a lot about signs and miracles and, and even using miracles as a defense for Christianity. It was done often. Jesus himself did it. Uh, but let's take a look at a story. I love this story. In Luke chapter 7, verses 18 on down to um, 23. So 18 to 23. So 18, verse 18. Then John's disciples told him about these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one? Who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many, many of the disease, diseases, afflictions, and the evil spirits, and he granted the sight, the sight to many blind people. He replied to them, "Go, report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the deaf, the dead." told good news and blessed blessed is the one who isn't offended by me now i love this story because one it shows the patience of jesus uh mm-hmm. and and his willingness to work with those who may be going through a time of doubt but but what i love about this story is that in in Luke in verse 21 John the Baptist disciples come to Jesus but look what verse 21 says it before their very eyes, Jesus heals many people of diseases. He heals people of afflictions and casts out evil spirits. He gives sight to the blind. Uh, and, and, and look what he says. 
And he probably did more miracles. He says the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed. Um, and um, and this is coming from Leviticus 13 and 14, talking about Levit, you know, the leprosy. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. He's quoting, look like Isaiah 61, 1, uh, Isaiah 29, 18. Uh, and in many other passages of Scripture in the book of Isaiah. But Jesus fulfills this prophecy. He knows this prophecy well. He fulfills it, and he, and he, do, and he performs these signs before their very eyes, and look what he tells them to do. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. Not what you've heard other people say and hear, but what you yourselves have seen and heard. And that's powerful. So they got to experience it, but then they are given the apologetic of of the of the evidence that they witnessed right directly back to John with their experience as the apologetic. Absolutely. I mean and and the thing about these miracles is that there was objective evidence um because the, this person was shown to be completely healed. There were witnesses abound. There were two witnesses of John the Baptist that went, and that's in the courtroom. That's enough to hold to validate a story. Um, so two witnesses, and plus you have this crowd of individuals who saw these miracles happen as well. So there's extreme validation. But the interesting thing is they're not going and reporting what someone else experienced. They are going and reporting what they themselves experienced, what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced Christ do. And that's the power of behind when we see miracles happen in our own lives and we see a supernatural work of God moving in our lives and we share with other people what we ourselves have experienced that just that just makes a tremendous a tremendously huge impact in our apologetic because it's not just about something about God doing something for someone else in a faraway land faraway nation we're telling them this is what I experienced. This is what God did for me. Mm. Powerful. So what do miracles tell us about God and Christianity? Well, the interesting thing about miracles is that uh, it, it fine-tunes the argument. So up to this point in this section of our, of our uh, series, we've been talking about big things. We've been talking mm -hmm. about... The cosmological argument, God creating the heavens and the earth and the evidence for a God. Uh, we, we've spoken of the design argument, and that speaks of some God who is uh, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, all-present, uh, and even omnibenevolent, you could argue from that. Well, this argument tunes it down, points it down further into a specific direction, because, point blank, if you can show the resurrection of Jesus happened, you're pointing not just to a God, but you're identifying who that God is, and you're pointing him. I've been watching The Mandalorian, and they, they have sayings, this is the way. Uh, and this is what this is showing. This is the way. This is the way to God. This is the way that God has chosen to reveal himself 
Now, that's not to say that God hasn't revealed himself in other avenues, but this is saying this is his son, and he came about bringing salvation to humanity through through Jesus. Mm. It's like Man. a funnel, so, like, a, like a like a funnel for oil. It, you go from the yeah. wide down to the to the small. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, it's kind of like you know, kind of like as we use our corral pens, we we have a bigger pen, smaller pen, and then work our way in smaller and smaller as it goes. So, yeah, yeah. So what what does it mean by the argument from an inner witness then? Well, this this takes it. We talk about the the. I think that last passage of scripture was a good segue for us because we're talking about the experiential nature of of the faith. And so the inner witness is talking about that inner relationship that we have with God. Um, this may be our experiences with God. This may be the testimony we have of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, well, for instance. That's true. And we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks because it's near and dear to my heart about God's continual communication with us, and this has become a hot button talk, hot button topic in modern apologetic, the modern apologetic community. And here again, I I think there has have been a lot of cases where people throw the baby out with the bathwater, bathwater without thinking things through. Um, God hasn't stopped communicating with us. We abide in Christ. Christ abides in us. Without Him, we cannot produce fruit. There's that abiding relationship with the Holy Presence of God in our lives. And He communicates. He communes with us. We see passages of Scripture where, the, where Jesus tells us that, that uh, the, the Holy Spirit instructs us, convicts us. These are communicative type of things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And so when we, when we feel and have that experience with the Holy Spirit, maybe it's that divine impression God had gives us, whatever the case may be, we know that there's something beyond us that's leading us down a certain path. It's that personal testimony of the Holy Spirit, that holy presence of God that we have in our lives. So for instance, let me give you a couple examples. Well, number one, I never will forget this occurrence, and it happens all the time. Um, I, I was, um, when I was in a previous pastorate, the Lord put, put this lady's name on my heart strongly, put her name on my mind and I couldn't get her off. And I was on going on visitation and I, and I had this woman on my mind and could not shake her off. And so something told me, urged me, prompted me, however you want to term it, to go see this woman. And I couldn't shake it. I go and see this woman in a nursing home. And lo and behold, this woman had had a stroke that day and was needing pastoral counsel, was needing people to come and pray with her. There's no way I could have known that because her daughter didn't even know about it until I had got there, gotten there myself. There's no way I could have known about that. That's a testimony. I call it those divine impressions we have in our lives from the Holy Spirit. Not only that, there was another occasion that happened not long ago uh, in the church where I'm serving now, and um, I had this woman's name, this, the same thing, had this woman on my mind. Lo and behold, 
her son and husband were trying to contact me to give her a call, but they didn't have my number. And so I reached out through uh, through a good friend of mine at the church. He gave me a, a number to try. I contacted that person. He told me where the woman was at a local hospital. I called her there, called the son, and, and the son told me, he says, Brian, we've been trying to get a hold of you all afternoon. Now, there was no way I could have known that, but God put that impression in my heart, in my mind, and and God does that. It's that inner testimony of the Holy Spirit, and it's so powerful and so important as well. Hmm. I mean, I've had countless experiences of the inner witness. Um, just unbelievable stuff. I mean, just an experience. Let me let me give a a quick story here, Brian. Sure. So. This this is this is this will cover two things. Um, we had been um, really kind of been convicted. Um, we were working through in a men's group, um, convicted working convicted in working through um, being more sensitive to 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 what the spirits asked us to do and so on and so forth. Well, I had gone I had gone to um, the bookstore. I pulled in the parking lot of the bookstore, um, and I was going in intentionally to buy buy a Bible. And um, we had been going through uh, a book and and really being challenged about, um, you know, being willing to listen to what um, what's what's being said, what we're feeling, what what's where we're at, you know be aware of our situations and, and listening to what the spirit says. So I pull in this parking lot and I, uh, I get out of my truck and, and, uh, right as I shut my door, I, I felt, I felt the Lord say, I heard the Lord say to me, give this man everything that's in your, in your pocket. Well, I was going in to get a Bible. So I had a $50 bill in my pocket. I had nothing else with me. And, uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, what? I look around, and I'm like, what, what guy, what man, you know? So I, I look around, I shut the door, and I walk, start walking away, and literally, right out of the corner of where I was, here comes this man walking by me. He's a homeless man. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, sir. He says, yeah. I said, I'm, here's fifty bucks. The Lord just told me to give this to you, and. And I remember when 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 he, when the Lord said that to me, said I want you to give give all that's in your pocket to this man, and tell him that God does love him. And I handed him the fifty dollars, and I said, God told me to give this to you, and He told me to tell you that God that He does love you. And this man literally just broke down crying, saying, I was just having a conversation with God, telling him that he obviously doesn't love me because he's going to let my wife and I starve for another day. Mm. And I I just lost it right there. And I'm like, oh, man. And he says, my wife has been sitting out in front of the grocery store with a sign just asking for, for anything. And he says, we haven't gotten anything for the for the couple of hours we've been here. He says, so what you just gave me is an answer to my prayer. Wow. And I'm like, 
oh, wow. And I said, well, I said, you go down there and buy, buy yourself a, a couple of good meals, whatever it's going to take. I said, and, and uh, find yourself a good place to, you know, a good place to go in for the night. And he says, we will, we will. He says, thank you very much. He says, my wife's not going to believe this. <laughs> and he hurried off, hurried off down, down to the grocery store. And I walked into the, walked into the bookstore and I was like, well, now I gotta pay for this Bible with my credit card. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, wait a minute! <laughs> I just, I just, I just listened to the Spirit, and and so, and now I'm complaining. It just made me laugh. I'm just like, oh, well, what? And 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 I, and I know just we have. And, and just to and just to say a word here into that, some people when they hear us say the Lord told us. And we're going to talk about this here in a couple of weeks when we talk about the God's con- communication with us. They hear that and they think that it's an audible voice, but it's not necessarily an audible voice. It's that prompting. It's it's God putting something, uh, uh, an impression on our mind to do something, an impression on our soul that something needs to be done, and you can't shake it. That is a communication from the Holy Spirit. That is a communication from the Lord himself so it doesn't have to be an audible thing you know i've heard people say well i've never heard god audibly say something to me but then when you start talking about these things just as you have these divine impressions as i've called them as i call them they said well yeah those type of things have happened to me i said there you go that's god speaking to you uh so a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of folks, I think, miss the boat when it, when, when they, we talk about these type of things, and I think it's a beautiful story. It just shows just how powerful listening and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, just how important that is. For sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard for me to it's hard for me to tell that story because of just that what you just stated. People say, well, I don't hear the voice of God. I don't hear this or that. You know, and I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't hear the voice of God in my mind at all. Hardly at all. It's very rare instances. You know, um, just it's it, it doesn't, it's not like it's an everyday occurrence. But, but, but I, when it does... Yeah, I was just... When it does, it... it <laughs> Yeah, we must have a delay. But when it does, it it certainly it certainly affects me because like like that was one of those moments where it was like, okay, I heard I heard that clearly, what I needed to say to him, and what I needed to do. And and as I did that, I I was like, okay, and I was obedient to it. But when I when I was obedient to it, what I saw out of it, I got an amazing blessing. Mm-hmm. But the, but look at the other man. Look at look at the amazing blessing he got. He got a reassurance that God does care for him and mm-hmm. will provide for him. I just yeah. But I and I bet about imagine though that even those the, the power of that voice that you're talking about even though that's an unusual occurrence I, I dare say that if we're if we think about about it there are several times we probably as Christians have those impressions placed on our mind about you know needing to check in on someone or needing to 
to you know perhaps be somewhere or or uh, or maybe if something's happened we didn't handle something right that conviction that we need to go and make things right with that person it's it's more than just a conscience it's the holy spirit working on our conscience working on our on our hearts working on our soul really and so when we talk about the communication of the lord it's not just this audible voice although god can do it speak in that matter uh, it's more of, more of His Spirit speaking to our spirit, more of those impressions that occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so what does the Bible say about the inner witness of the Holy Spirit? Uh, s- ser- several things that we can mention. And, and um, Psalm 34, verse 8, you, you, would you care to read that one for us there, Curtis? Yeah says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Yeah, and look what it says before this. Says, the poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste mm. and see. It's not only just learning about these stories of the past that happened around Passover, happened in the Exodus. It's not only those things that occurred in the past, but the psalmist's challenges us, exhorts us to taste and see. You know, someone may tell you that this type of ice cream is good, but you're not going to know until you actually taste it to see if it's good or not. What he's saying is you need to enter into this relationship with God to see for yourself just how good God is. And it talks about that witness, that inner witness that comes with uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I know people can use this logic and abuse it, and obviously we don't want to do that, but uh, but there is an important factor in the, the uh, relational uh, presence of, of, of God in our lives. Now, let me read this passage of Scripture for us really quickly. Romans uh, eight sixteen is the focal point, but let me go ahead and read this section. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are... G- Let you see that. All those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons, God's children. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, going back to Aramaic for Father is what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if God's children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. There again, verse 16, especially speaking of that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look mm. at Galatians 4, 6. And Curtis, mm. would you read that one for us? Yeah. There it is. For, uh, there's, there it is. Okay, so, and because you are sons... God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Mm. There again, that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And then closing out this section, uh, we, we look at Ephesians 1, 14-16. The Holy Spirit is the down payment 
of our inheritance mm-hmm. until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. But again, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit is that down payment for our inheritance. And that's that testimony we have in the spirit uh, Spirit's activity in our lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was just thinking of the scripture, it's right in here as well. It, it says, um, but who knows the thoughts of God, but the spirit of God, mm-hmm. and, the, and the spirit of God rests rests in man. So it's, it's, it's amazing when we think about it, that inner witness. Absolutely. So... How can we use the experiential apologetic in a proper fashion, and does it hold an impact in the lives of other people? Now, just as you said it previously, Curtis, we want to give the disclaimer that we don't want to just take any story without you know investigating it. We don't want to just make everything about experience and not about objective truth. And we certainly don't want to take things to make it about... Um, experience over the revelation of God because that is God's word given to us um, in amazing in amazing fashion but the power of these of experiential apologetics when used in the proper fashion uh, is that it tells our story with God and and there's a lot of power in sharing our story. You know, in the Baptist church, we call it testifying or, or giving a testimony. Uh, given our experience with God, and I want to tell you something. When you stop and you really listen to a person's story and the ways, the mm-hmm. amazing ways God's brought that person through, it makes it personal. It's not just, the Bible's very important, don't get me wrong, and I'm not by any, you'll never hear me say anything about dismissing anything in the Bible. Don't take it that way. But these these miracles that we've t- we're talking about in Scripture happened two thousand years ago in a faraway land for us, and in, in in the United States of America, in modern day United States of America. But think about this: when we give our testimony and we say how God has redeemed us, the story that Curtis shared, the the, the stories that I've shared. It's a. It makes it personal. This is our experience, and we're. It is kind of like we're beggars telling other beggars where to find bread and saying to them, "Taste and see. This bread is good. This ice cream is fantastic. You need to taste it for yourself. It's given to you here. Now you take a bite and see. It makes it relational." Uh, and so we share our experiences with God. And folks, I'm telling you, that holds incredible apologetic value. And so, yes, it's important to, to remain intellectuals, grounded in the Scripture, grounded in the truth of Christ. But don't negate the power of your experience. Don't negate the power of God working through your life and the story that he's making in your life. And I think it's Romans 8.28 that says God's working all things for good. And, and uh, we are, no, uh, no, what is that What is that scripture? For by grace you're saved through faith, uh, not of yourselves, just a gift of God. Yeah, there, there's something that says that we are his workmanship. Um, 
Oh, that's Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10, that's the one. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship. And mm-hmm. in, in that, he's making a masterpiece. Oh, Curtis, I'm going to just have to share that right quick. Go on, hold on just a second. Um, Ephesians 2.10. Let's just do this real quickly as we're wrapping things up. <laughs> Probably my fav- one of my favorite verses. Ephesians 2.10. Okay, here we go. Yep, it's, it's, it's that one. For you're saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift. Of, it's God's gift. Not a work so that no one can boast. So we are his workmanship. Creating Christ Jesus for good works. Workmanship there. Um, where'd it go? Verse 10. Poema. A, a product that is made, and in many yep. senses, this means uh, we get our word poem. But in many senses, this is talking about God's divine masterpiece that He's working in yeah, our lives. And yep. share that masterpiece. Share what God's doing. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It holds incredible value. Yeah, truly, truly. Yeah. One other thing is. Look at if 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 our listeners could get a chance to go through and read the book of Esther, read the it's short. You could read the book of Esther all the way through, in a short little bit and catch the whole story. Don't break it apart into many different things. Read it as as a small book. Just read it all the way through. What you see in that book is God is working behind the scenes. He's not mentioned in that book one iota. Nowhere, and he's working through. He's working through experiences. He's working through people's um, positions and places and things that are there. I mean, that's where we get the line. You, you were put here for such a time as this. There, there's, there's all of these parts of that story as God is going through and saving his his people because he's coming against an evil. Uh, evil king and an evil person, um, and Haman is his name, and it is a beautiful story of God, exactly what we're talking about, God working behind the scenes, God moving in certain things, doing certain um, uh, parts that people aren't even recognizing, but as they look back and look at it, God was moving through there, and each and every one of those in that story have an experience with God through that story. So, yeah, and one final word I want to say uh, going along, coinciding with that, you know, with Esther, we see how God is moving through those scenarios and circumstances. And so I want to tell you, our listeners, I want to tell everyone listening to this, tell your story. T- because mm. tell your story. You are God's masterpiece, so your story matters because it matters to God. Yeah, Amen. Very good. Do it today, folks. So we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and becomes a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie podcast, and until next time, Brian and I say, So on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. 
This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christi Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christi Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christi Ministries, go to bellatorchristi.com. If you enjoy the Bellator Christie podcast, why not join us for the live taping of the show? This show is recorded every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And to catch the live show, consider going over to youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. We hope to see you there. Have you ever had questions about heaven? Have you ever thought about what we'll do there? Will animals be found in heaven? Are NDEs real? Is heaven only going to include worshiping God through music? Or will we be able to engage in other activities? In my upcoming book, Conversations About Heaven, I reflected on the conversations I had about heaven with a woman who attended a former church I served as pastor. These conversations challenged her to see heaven in a new light. Heaven is a place where our, our wildest imaginations will come true and the greatest of possibilities will be brought to actuality. Our conversations about heaven gave this woman peace and comfort that she did not have before. In my upcoming book, Conversations About Heaven, I record our conversations and go deeper into the issues. And it is my hope that Conversations About Heaven will give you the same peace that this saintly woman received. Look for my book, Conversations About Heaven, to hit bookstores very soon.